Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. If you've ever been a renter, you know it's stressful to find a place with everything you love and nothing you don't. But did you know Zillow does rentals? It makes the search so easy. They have filters for pretty much everything, so you can find that place that's in your budget, but also isn't a shoebox. Or a place that's close to your parents, but far enough they have to call first. Plus, it's easy to apply, request tours, and pay rent in the app. Head to ZillowRentals.com and find your sweet spot. From coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Laugh and learn while you listen to a brilliant display of radio. Online. Online. With Bill Alexander. Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander here at italknet.com and also at pghtalkradio.com. Hope everything's going fine for you on this wonderful day as you're joining me. Well, what's special about today's show is we're going to be talking to an Elvis impersonator. That's right, an Elvis impersonator. He's also a podcaster, too. On the phone line right now with me, I have Gene Diapoli. Gene, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and you almost got it right. Oh, you I, almost got it right. Please fix it. <laughs> it was Denapoli. Denapoli. That's why. That's one thing. That's one thing I'm bad at is names. But I know who you are, so I'm glad you could be here th- with us this evening. So, My pleasure, and thanks for asking me to be here. So, Gene, you've been uh, been performing for how many years now, um, publicly? Just last month, I celebrated my 41st year in show business that is awesome now yeah when when i when we talk about this is this this actually let me do this first because you and i talked previous before going on tonight give the audience a little bit of a background of who you are well uh, right now i'm a 55 year old italian boy from the bronx new york and when i was five years old i became an Elvis presley fan and from five till about 14, I practiced in my bedroom, and I mimicked Elvis in private. And then when I was 14, I got up in front of people at a restaurant, and I never looked back. And from then, it's been uh, Elvis shows, and then I started to do Blues Brothers, and then I do doo-wop and Sinatra, and I act, and I'm an ordained minister. So, you know, I, I do a little bit of everything, though, to keep myself busy. What I find so impressive, because listening to you, you sound like you are you are deep in the heart of the Bronx of New York. 
But yet, when you sing, you sound like Elvis, which is amazing to me. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, like I said, I was an Elvis fan. I'm an Elvis fan, first of all. A lot of people do Elvis for money or the girls or they want to, you know, accolades. Right. I did it because I'm an Elvis fan. So I learned the inflections of his tone and how he pronounced certain words while singing, uh, all because I do sound like an Italian guy from the Bronx. And But, we, you know, we put it over. Uh, people have been enjoying our shows for 40-plus years. So am I the best at what I do? No, but I'm the best that I can be. And it goes over. And according to your website, it says that you are the number one Elvis impersonator in New York. Is that correct? Well, you know, that all depends on who who, who you're talking to. My mother uh, <laughs> thought I was the best. My mother thought I was the best. Uh, you know, Bill, I entered a few contests in my time, and I, I won most of them that were local. I came in second or third, but... You know how I judge uh, that that title, that moniker, is that I was the most worked Elvis okay. in the area. And I had some of the biggest gigs. I did all the casinos. I did B.B. Kings in Times Square. So, um, you know, you wouldn't get those gigs if you weren't. See, I don't want to say it like this because I'm not conceited. Uh, you wouldn't get those gigs unless you were good. Right. And I was good. Uh and then I kept the gigs because everybody enjoyed us. Yeah. Now, I heard a clip, and I'm going to play a little bit of it right now. It's actually you singing with the Jordanaires, doing your oh. version of Burn, Burn in Love. And again, the audience is not going to believe that this is you when they hear, you, when they hear this song. So let me bring this up so they sure. can hear this. Well, thank you. Again, that is hard for me to believe that's the same guy I am on the telephone. <laughs> you know, um, that was a, one of the most monumental events of my career. Uh, not only because I got to be on stage with those guys, but they played a song for me that they never did with Elvis. Oh, really? You know, the, well, they was the, the Jordanaires and DJ Fontana was Elvis's musicians uh, from the 50s and 60s. Right. Burning Love didn't come out till '72. Okay. When they when they want to work with Elvis, so what happened was there was a guy who was doing a show in Queens, and tickets weren't going good. So he said to me, uh, "Can you sell some tickets for me?" And I said, "Well, what's in it for me? You know, I'm not going to tell my following to go to Queens to see somebody sing." He's all well, he's I'll let you go on the show. I'll get, let you do three songs. It's okay. So I called up my mailing list and we sold 150 tickets for the guy. Well, I get out there, and the guy goes, well, now you can't sing because of union rules. So my brother looked at him and said, you know, if my brother doesn't sing, that piano that's on stage is going to go in the audience. So the guy, he compromised, and I got to do one song. So I walk on stage, and the band leader says, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, my way. And he goes, I do that song. He's okay, uh, 
How about American Trilogy? He goes, I do that. I said, okay, how about Hurt? He goes, I do that. I go, what do you want me to do? Now, this is on stage in front of people. Right. So I'm getting a little agitated because we should have discussed this before the show. I said, what do you want me to do? He says, burn in love. I said, then let's do it, baby. And he looked at the band. He said, burn in love, Kia D. And the drummer, DJ Fontana, who was Elvis's drummer, opens the song and it just fell into place. Um, so what year was this? What year was this done? I think that was 95. Okay. Because again, it, it's just so impressive. And, and the funny thing is the MC makes a comment at the beginning and saying, and now it makes sense to me that if he doesn't get to sing, something's going to happen because you know, people, and now I'm going, yeah, what? now I know the story. Yeah, he, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, the, the MC was a real cool guy. And he said, you know, please, because my brother's a big guy. And he yeah. said, you know, the piano is going to go in the audience. And he goes, he said, please, what do we got to do? I said, listen, I got 150 people here that would not have come if I'm not singing, you know, anything. Right. So he comes back and goes, what about one song? I go, one is better than none. So the EMC was a real nice guy. So that's why we allowed it to go the way it did. But it, it had to be a kick for you to be able to say that you performed with the Jordanaires. And, uh... you, you know, uh, great, great kick. And the funny part is, and this is the funny part, Ray Walker, who was one of the Jordanaires, says to me, you know, you don't look much like Elvis, but I bet you could do a hell of a John Belushi. And this was, this was 10 years before I even thought about doing the Blues Brothers. Uh-huh. I, I didn't think about that. We had so much Elvis work, Bill, up and down the East Coast. New York was an open market. I didn't need to do anything else. Uh, and then I told him years later that I did Belushi, he cracked up, and I became good friends with the drummer, DJ Fontana. Uh, me and DJ, we hung out a lot at Elvis events, and I actually brought him up to New York right before he died to do a show with me. So whenever whenever you do this stuff, and you said you started at 14. Was it yeah. odd to have a 14-year-old Elvis impersonator at that time, which would have been... Was in, I what? Would it been, was it odd to have an Elvis impersonator that was 14? Because it would have been, what, 1970, uh, what, 78, 79? 1980. 1980, okay. 1980. Uh, you know, the funny part about me is I grew uh, at an early age. I was five, six when I was 11 years old, and my voice matured when I was real young. So I never sounded like a kid. Uh, singing Elvis. I always sounded more mature uh, than my age. Okay. But there was a lot of Elvises out there, but the gimmick was I was a young kid doing Elvis. Gotcha. Uh, and then the other gimmick was I was an Italian guy doing Elvis. <laughs> so when I went down south to like Georgia, Virginia, the Carolinas, they, they came to the show for Elvis, but they also came out of curiosity to see this New York guy, you know, sing. Right, right. So you and I are actually about the same age. Actually, I turned 55 this summer. So you and I are Oh, the congrats. Same. Yeah, thank you. You and I are about the same age. So you remember when Elvis died in 77. Which was oh, which was which was a big thing. So you're you're doing an impersonation of somebody at that time 
that was just gone for three years, four years. How difficult was it then to do the image of Elvis compared to who is now? Because a lot of those memories that you do have today have faded from when they did years ago. Well, you know, that that's an interesting question. And they the memories haven't faded. But all I had to go on was his 33 movies okay. and his three TV specials, The Black Leather, The Eagle in Hawaii, and his last TV show. So today, you could Google and YouTube thousands of hours of Elvis videos and figure out what to do. With me, I only had those couple of concerts, and I had a lot of movies that I could watch. And what I did was I incorporated what I thought he would have done at a certain point. You know, I do a lot of songs that he never did in concert. Okay. Like like Way Down or uh, a lot of songs that there are no video of. So what I try to do is I try to say, well, what would he have done at this point of the song? And I do it. And if the audience likes it, they'll let me know. And if they don't like it, they'll let me know. Right. Because I, I think it's interesting, and, and you mentioned Way Down, which is one of my favorites. Um, and I didn't ever yeah. realize he never did it in concert. But no. um, he has such a large repertoire of music from his early days doing rockabilly to then doing even beach music at a time and then doing mm -hmm. the ballads and the gospel and everything else that you have a lot to choose from. Which do you like to do best? Well, you know, it's funny, though, if I could tell you, Elvis Presley recorded uh, close to 730 songs in his career. Yet when he performed in concert, maybe 40 of them okay. got into his concert repertoire over nine years. Uh, he didn't, over eight years, he did, you know, the same songs over and over, except for an odd one here or there, because people didn't want to go to a show and not hear Hound Dog or Blue Suede Shoes. So he did what the public wanted. Right. When I do my shows, when I do a show in a restaurant or a casino for 90 minutes, I do about 30 songs. I do 15 to 18 that you have to do. If you don't do these songs, people will riot. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Gotcha. And then I do maybe five or six personal favorites or songs I don't get to do often. And then what makes my show different than a lot of people is I ask the audience for requests. And I try to get them to stop me. And it hasn't happened yet, thank God. But my show is different every time you see it. Okay. Uh, so I play the same restaurants and nightclubs every month, and yet people come every month because they're going to get different songs. And, 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 I, and I have 35 Elvis outfits, so I don't wear the same outfit every, every time. Right. So I have one guy that comes to my shows just to see what I'm going to wear. It's funny. It's funny. So, you know, my shows are very entertaining. You know, I don't do Elvis like Elvis did. You can't no, because right. he was Elvis. Right. Elvis can stand there and sing the alphabet. 
I do, I put a lot of work into what I do. Yeah. And if, if I see the audience is a rocking crowd, then I'll do the show I pick. If I see they're more ballad oriented, I change my show in the middle of the show. Okay. I, I, I mouth, my wife runs my sound. Oh. So I look at her and I mouth the word, the title of the next song. And she pulls it up on the iPad or the iPod, and she gets it ready. Gotcha. Okay. So, so she's focused on me, and I'm focused on the audience. Yeah, because I was going to ask you how you did that. Now, in the early days, before we had this type of technology, did you have a band backing you at that time, or did you still have pre-recorded music? I, the one night I sang with the band, the night I started, but then when I started to do shows, I used to lip sync to Elvis records because okay. there was no karaoke. Right. And then I eventually got a band together when I was like 16 and we did a few gigs. I still have a band now when the gigs are big enough that warrant it, like the casinos, mm -hmm. BB Kings, or a corporate event. But 90% of our work right now are backing tracks, uh, which I sing over. Okay. Now, with with everything that's happened this past year, um, with with COVID, the um, self-quarantine, the self-isolation, everything that was going on, I bet you that took a big chunk out of what you were doing. How were you able to fill the time and still make yourself relevant out there to your audience? Uh, social media kept me relevant. Okay. I did, I did a lot of shows from my house. And I Zoomed them, or I Facebooked them. I did a few charity events uh, for different organizations. Uh, and that's when I realized people had a hunger to still be entertained. Right. Now, I live in the Bronx, but right above me is Westchester County. Uh, and most of my work is in Westchester County, which, which got lifted a lot sooner than the five boroughs. Okay. So right after uh, the summer, we were able to do shows again in Westchester County. Okay, so it was able. You were able to do it. Were they were to small groups or were they? To oh yeah, it was. Ha oh yeah, it was half the capacity. Uh, and naturally, uh, being that I get very friendly with the venues I work, I couldn't charge them what I did last year because they couldn't put the amount of people right. in the restaurant. So here I was working twice as hard for the same money. Yeah. Uh, and that's when I got heavily into acting and auditioning because that seemed to continue uh, in different areas. Uh -huh. So I put, I put a little more effort into uh, auditioning and learning lines and doing some key projects uh, to keep myself busy. So, um, are are do you have a lot any shows booked over the next few months that have larger audience, or are they still small? Well, uh, Westchester County just went to seventy five percent of their capacity. Okay. So if they hold two hundred, they could fit on fifty, and vice versa. But uh, it's opening up. Uh, but people are still scared, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you deal with it. You, a guy calls you and says, you know, I want you to come play my restaurant. I can only fit 70 people. And you go, okay, what do you want to do? How much can you afford? 
what's the bonus? Is there a bonus structure? You know, if I hit the 70, if I have 50, you know. So, you know, I like to work and I like to help people. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like work it out with everybody. Well, that's good. So with that happening and everything going on, are you seeing more more shows dealing with Elvis, more shows with the Blues Brothers, or the more of the tributes that you're doing to Sinatra? What are you seeing more of right now? Well, um, the, 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 the Sinatra doo-wop disco show that I do is, is getting more work because, uh, well, it did before COVID because people like to dance. Okay. And they, they, don't, they might not be Elvis fans. The Blues Brothers I don't do in public because it's such a big show. We could only do it in certain venues, you know, with a 10-piece band. So that's mainly corporate jobs or okay. private parties or certain casinos out of the area. The Elvis, you know, there's so many Elvis shows out there now, and the Elvis crowd is dwindling more rapidly than new fans are being made. You know, you get, you get people over 70, right. and now they're going to stay home. Uh, they're on a fixed income, or they're passing away. Now, as they pass away, younger fans become Elvis fans because of the Internet or movies, or they've seen Elvis, or, but it's not at the same ratio. Now, are you noticing... So I see... Yeah. No, no, go ahead and finish, and I'll ask you my question. So I see more parties for young people where I get paid higher to perform at five and six and 10 year old birthday parties than I see at the shows. Okay. Because the, the other thing I'm interested in too, and I've always, and I've, I've always been an Elvis fan and I'm all, I'm also a Sinatra fan, probably a bigger mm. Sinatra fan. Are you noticing that Sinatra's music is still, still being able to um, garner an audience, a younger audience? Is Elvis still more popular, popular, among the younger people, or is Sinatra starting to build up that repertoire? Well, the, the only way you're going to hear Sinatra now is if you have uh, parents that were into Sinatra or you subscribe to a streaming service. Okay. Elvis is in movies like Disney contracted Elvis's estate. So in most of the movies that they do about Elvis, about Disney... There's always an Elvis song or two in the movie. Lilo and Stitch. Oh, yeah. Right. Lilo yeah. and Stitch was a heavily Elvis-based soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, the Game Plan with The Rock, heavily Elvis-based. So here you have uh, kids that go to movies because it's Disney, and they're being exposed to Elvis music. Okay. They're not being exposed to Sinatra music in the Disney catalog. So now a kid doesn't have the way to hear it, unless their parents play it or unless they, they go on a streaming service and they just happen to find it. So I noticed that the Elvis fans keep, keep coming up. Okay. Cause I, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I'm a big Sinatra fan and I have a, a nice vinyl collection of Sinatra and also a bigger Dean Martin fan, but no one ever does Dean Martin. Uh, so <laughs> it, it is, uh, it is uh, interesting to see where that goes, but I can understand. I always, I always do a Dean Martin, uh, three or four songs in my shows. Oh, do you really? Um, well, how... you got it. I'm, I'm Italian, and well, you know that's true. Yeah, Dean that... was the king of cool. Does that go? I interviewed Dean's daughter about uh, a year and a half ago, 
Yeah, Dina. Dina, and that was a great interview. And did you know they're looking at making a movie about him? They just can't find You know, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. But there's one thing that Sinatra had that Dean didn't have, and that was controversy. Yes. And people do not want to make movies unless there's a controversy. You know, one of the biggest stars of the 80s and 90s had a reality show, MC Hammer. Do you remember MC oh, Hammer? I remember MC Hammer, yes. Well, do you know it got canceled right away? Because MC Hammer is a man of God. And there was no controversy in his life. Uh-huh. People want to see families fighting right. and kids getting pregnant at 16 and all this other happy nonsense, which I think is destroying society. I agree. And MC Hammer, one of the biggest stars in the, in the planet, uh, could not make it go because uh, there was no controversy. Right. Yeah, that's 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 a very interesting point to bring up. It really is. So when you do your costumes, especially for Elvis, are they custom made for you? Yeah, they have to be because I'm not the normal body <laughs> shape of an Elvis guy. <laughs> you know, the, the companies that make the, the suits... Uh, they would make suits for a six foot tall, 160, 170 pound man. Uh, unfortunately, I'm nowhere near six feet tall or nowhere near 170 pounds. Okay. So my clothes have to be custom made uh, for me because uh, I'm on the shorter side and the chunky side. But the designers were able to make it look where my Italian belly was not the biggest uh, protruding part of a suit. Okay. They were able to configure. I had broad shoulders, so they made the shoulders a little wider to give me a V-shape. Gotcha. Uh, but all my outfits are custom-made, yeah. So I also, you don't buy these. You don't buy these in Kmart. <laughs> you don't buy them off the rack, yeah. So no. I, I'm looking at your website, and it says you're a minister? I am. How I long, am a minister. How long have you been a minister? Uh, about three years. Okay. About three, you know, uh, I went to a Catholic high school. I would have never guessed. Although, yeah, right? Imagine. <laughs> and although I'm not overly religious, I was very interested in the subject. Okay. So I, I read the Testament, and I would pick it apart and question things. So I was always interested in religion. And then I started to do some weddings, uh, mock weddings, Elvis mock weddings. Okay. And I would say, uh, uh, do you, Bill, take Linda to be your teddy bear and never treat her like a hound dog and never wind up in the jailhouse rock, right? And then after I was done, there would be a, a, a minister next to me to legally bind them. Gotcha. Okay. And I said, you know, why should this couple pay two people to do, you know, one job, this? yeah. So, right. So I went and uh, I took the course. And now I go out as either Gene DiNapoli or as Reverend Elvis. <laughs> you know? Well, you could do Jake Blues, too. I mean, gee, that would be well, an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> it would be interesting, but I don't think there's any Jake, uh, Jolie well, and Jake fans out there that well, want to get married. 
it could be it from a mission from God. I mean, you know the movie. True. So again, you never know. But again, I, I like the idea of Elvis. So you have done it in the full Elvis outfit, the voice, everything? Absolutely. That's... And then I would sing a song. Okay. Uh, and and I'd go to the reception and do a short show. Oh, okay. That would yeah, well. So, you know, they got a little entertainment at the wedding. They got me at the, uh, whether it's a park or a... Uh, a house, uh-huh. you know, a lot of the, a lot of the ones that want the Elvis, they don't normally get married in church. Right. The ones okay. that get married in church are still very religious. It's the second weddings and the third weddings and the renewal of the vows. Okay. That's what I get a lot of work out of. So, how many weddings have you done in three years? Do you know? I, I think it's as Elvis. Well, as both or total or total. I think I've done about twenty-five, uh, and I could have done more. But I do book some daytime shows with the music. So if I'm already pre-booked somewhere with the music, can't do another gig. That makes sense, yeah. I was curious because I I didn't know that there was a... um... There would be a market for that, but I guess there would be, especially if you could say Elvis married you um, outside of Vegas, because I know that they do them in the chapels out there. Yeah. Or they used to. I don't know if they still do or not. But They do, and, and that's what I say. No need to go to Vegas anymore. Okay. <laughs> Elvis will come to you. So the other thing I noticed, too, is you've been doing a podcast called Reminiscing. So when yes. did that start? Well, that started back in August, and... Uh, it started because I wanted to talk about uh, social injustice and economic injustice and health care. I wanted to do something a little more meaningful. And I noticed that when I started to speak about certain subjects, which I'm not, I wasn't the smartest uh, or most educated in those subjects, I started to lose a lot of the viewers. And my wife said to me, uh, you know, Gene, you still go out and perform uh, if you say something wrong, you're going to alienate some of your audience. So I said, well, what do I do now? She said, well, why don't you just do a show about entertainment? Okay. Because that's what you're known for is entertainment. So I said, okay. And I said, okay, so what am I going to do? So I called up a couple of friends of mine that I went to uh, South America to film a TV show with. And I said, guys, you want to, you want to do a podcast with me in two weeks and We'll just shoot the shit for a couple of hours. And they were like, yeah. But we had over a 1,000 people watch. And I said, okay, this is weird. People really want to see this? So I said, I can't do it about myself every week because it'll get boring. Right. So I, I, I reached out to a couple of the doo-wop singers that I knew uh, personally. And I said, would you do this? And every one of them jumped on the bandwagon and said, absolutely, anything for you, Gene. So, I did it, and next thing you know, I got other people calling me saying, hey, Gene, I just released a new CD, or Gene, I just, I got a book coming out. Can I come on your show and talk about it? And I said, you want to come on my show? Yeah. I said, okay. And then I realized that the talk, the host isn't the star of the show. It's the guest. Right. And... What I do different is I, I don't just talk about, like, like tonight we had, it's, it's every Monday night if I could say that, uh, we had one of the original teenagers. Remember the teenagers? Sure do, yeah. 
Okay, so so we had Jimmy Merchant on the show, and what what I do different is I don't just speak about the five or six or seven hit records they got. I talk about stuff that they don't get to talk about, okay. shows that they did, uh, uh, records that weren't released, records that were released but didn't hit the charts. So they get a chance to talk about everything with me for an hour or 90 minutes, where if they go on somebody else's podcast, they only get to talk for 20 minutes, right. and it's the same questions. Well, same questions all the time. I'll tell you so, one, one thing. I'm jealous because the list of names you have on here are oh, just yeah. are just amazing. Like Bobby Rydell. Now, I know a friend yeah. of Bobby Rydell's that performs yeah. with him by the name of Fabian. Um, as oh. part of the Golden Boys. And Fabian's been on my yeah. show multiple times. But that has to be a blast to be able to talk about those days. And I do the same thing. When I have a guest on, I talk about, especially musical guests, I let yeah. them guide the conversation because I'm just here pushing buttons to make sure everybody can hear us. And, Absolutely. And the cool thing now is I'm working for a radio station. Um, I'm I'm doing over or evenings, nighttime, for a station out of Philadelphia called Boss Jock Radio that's reinventing the old Boss Radio format from um, KHJ and WFIL out of Philadelphia and all the other Boss stations. And this is the music we're playing from the doo-wop to the... Uh, to the true classic oldies, which is kind of fun, because when you when you when I looked at these names, and who you had on from uh, J T Carter from the Crests, um, little uh, Ernest Wright from Low Anthony and the Imperials, I'm going. You're talking to rock and roll roll royalty here, which not everybody can have access to, which is amazing. You know, uh, I love the music. I love Elvis. I love the music. Uh, so it gives me great pleasure to talk to these people because I'm an old soul. I was not around in the 50s and 60s. I was born in 66. So I only know what my parents told me and what I read about. So right. to have these people actually r relate to me certain situations, it's the biggest thrill of my life. Um, and the, I, I'm actually trying to get more current artists because I think everybody has a story to be told. Um, we promote their books like Bobby Rydell has the book, mm -hmm. Rod Dante has a CD and Jimmy Merchant has a CD. And, but there's a lot of, there are a lot of people out there who don't have that opportunity to make a book or make a new CD. So uh, I think my show gives them a forum to tell their stories to a fan base who misses them because CBS FM is no longer the oldie station. Right. There's no such thing as an oldie station. And because I did the show, I actually got approached by a, a person to write a series of books on the entertainers that did not write their own books that we're going to create into small screenplays to maybe put on off-Broadway uh, when Broadway opens up. Oh, that'd be fun, yeah. Yeah. Because um, I'm, I'm looking at some of the names, and, and I'm trying to figure out how old they would be, but I'm looking at uh, Joey D'Ambrosio of Bill Haley and the Comets. How old yeah, would he I be? Think Joe, I think Joey was our oldest guest to date. I think he was 87. Okay. and then But I think J.T. Carter, uh, I got to look at him. I believe he might be uh, older than... Uh, 
than him. I'm not too sure. Because what I think is really important, I think, and I think you would agree with me, a lot of these stories, once these people pass away, they're going to be gone. And this gives them a forum to tell these stories so their their legacy or their history or their their thoughts behind the music can actually live on for the people that want to hear them. And I think it's really important for people to do that. And I think what you're doing right now is just is fantastic. I appreciate that. And I, I do agree with you. And there's a gentleman from your end of the woods called T.J. Lubinsky. Right. And I think what T.J. does is fabulous with the music part. Yeah. But like you said, I think that the stories warrant a video record. Oh, I agree. Uh, so I, yeah, so I, uh, I, look, I'm not Cousin Brucey and I'm not Wolfman Jack and I'm not Dick Clark. Right. I'm just a regular guy that just happens to love the music. But I do my homework on them. Uh, so I bring out stories that uh, they don't get to talk about. Uh, which is great, and they they all laugh, and they go, you know, how do you know this? And I say, well, I do my homework on you. <laughs> you know, so it uh, it gives them a forum to tell their stories, uh, and as far as I know, they all have had a great time with me. That's good. Uh, and they, they promote it, and we become, uh, if you could call it, friends over the computer, mm-hmm. The new people like Jimmy Merchant and and uh, Terry Johnson from the Flamingos and Joey D'Ambrosio from the Comets. I mean, these are people I never got to meet personally, such like Joey D and Larry Chance, Vito Picone. These guys I grew up with. Joey D is like a relation to me. So I worked for Joey for about 10 years as his road manager. So I met all these guys. And, I'm, you know, those are the friends that I got to be on the show Uh but it opened up a lot of new doors, and uh, with this new project after this is going to be, it's going to be good. Well, that, again, that is that is just fantastic, and and being able to say that you've been able to do that, and getting these people on your program is very impressive. Um, yeah. Gene, that's basically all the time I have for you this evening. Is there anything else you want to tell my audience? Because I could go on with you for another hour at least. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And if you wanted to go, we go. <laughs> um, you know what? Just uh, if they like what we spoke about and what I do, they can find me on all social media platforms. Uh, if they wanted to look me up on YouTube on the Gene DiNapoli and join that channel, they could see all the shows. And some of the new shows I'm doing, though, I'm doing shows by regular people who have a story to tell. Okay. Like last week, there was a guy who was a boxer. Uh, turned to drugs, uh, got off of drugs, and still went to jail uh, and turned to God. And he wrote a book called From Crime to Christ. And I thought it was a story that needed to be told. So I had him on my show, and uh, it was one of the most viewed shows that we've done. That is fantastic. And if anybody knows anybody that wants to get interviewed, just look me up, send me a message. And we'd love to set something up. Okay, now you're competing with me. But <laughs> <laughs> there's room for everybody. You but, know. That's, but that's okay. I I, I share. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, Jim, thank you. I really appreciate it. This was fun, 
And when that that whole idea of you writing these stories about these performers that haven't done it, whenever you do it, please get back in touch with me because I'd love to have you on the program and talk about that and also talk about more of your days um, of performing, especially once everything gets somewhat back to normal, which I hope happens here real soon. I'd be honored to do that, Bill, and thank you so much and continued success on your show and on the station. And anything we could do from this side of the bridge, all you got to do is ask, and we'll be there to back you up. Gene, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You have a great night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. You got you. God bless you, my friend. Bye-bye. A big thank you for Gene DiNapoli for joining me on the phone tonight. What a pleasure that was. And if you need to find more information about Gene, go to his website, genedinapoli.com, and you can find out all about his performances, where he's performing from. He also has CDs for sales and autographed photographs for sale, and you can find out more about him on his website. Well, that's going to wrap it up for yours truly, Bill Alexander. I am out of here. We'll talk to you next time here online with Bill Alexander. This has been a Million Dollar Baby production. For more information, go to italknet.com. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. Rumkey is hiring CDL drivers age 19 and up, and drivers are paid based on experience. Rumkey CDL drivers earn $1,000 to $1,300 per week and more than $10,000 in bonuses possible in their first year. Rumkey drivers are home daily, work in a recession-resistant industry, receive great benefits and performance incentives. Start a lucrative career and apply now at rumkeycareers.com. Equal opportunity employer restrictions apply. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Scramble through our world-class golf courses or shop your way through the square. Be one with nature as you hike or bike through our parks and trails or hunker down at one of our breweries. And when it's time to eat, be sure to bite into our eclectic food scene. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, 
That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.